You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Hey gals, welcome to The Devoted Podcast. Glad you're here. So I'm going to do another one of our episodes on the Cultural Christian series that we've been doing. If you're new to this podcast or this series, no big deal. You can kind of jump in whenever. I will say the Cultural Christian series, it's helpful maybe if you go back and listen to the first, I think it was the first and second one we did where I talked about what kind of Christian are you, just identifying some things that we see culturally, how the term Christian seems to mean some things very broadly speaking, culturally speaking, that I don't think is always biblically what we mean by being a Christian. So we looked at what it really means to be a Christian in those episodes. And just to remind you of what we're talking about there, just to get real basic, we're just talking about being Christ followers, right? Like Christian is someone that actually wants to imitate Christ. When we say that, when we're talking about the obviously the redemptive work that Christ has done in our lives, that we are, have repented of our sins, that, well, back up. First, we recognize that we're sinners, and then we repent of that sin. And then we have asked Jesus, we've actually done Romans 10 verses 9 and 10, where we have spoken those words, believed in our heart that Jesus died, rose from the grave, and we're saved. That's what it means to be a Christian. But then what does it look like for your life to follow that? What do we mean when people say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian? We've learned that In our culture today, it kind of means a whole lot of things. We see the progressive Christians that have a very different theology, not a biblical theology at all, and that matters. We have seen that there's this, I just feel Christian, that we kind of sort of just kind of want to put our feelings out there, and and if it feels good, then I'll go with that. But we, we have a harder time, I just feel Christian, doesn't really want to take God's word at its black and white face value a lot of times. We want to judge that based on what our feelings are. So we did an episode on that as well. Today, I want to talk about the Sunday Christian. And I think we have seen a Sunday Christian, really, this is not new, right? I don't know that any of these are super new, but this one in particular, I think, has always had a place in society. And what I mean by the Sunday Christian is the Christian that says, yes, I know Jesus, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, and they go to church every Sunday. They'll be there, and they'll sing the songs, and they'll worship right alongside you. And then they go to work the next day, and they don't live necessarily any differently than any of the people around them that wouldn't identify as Christians. So I want to highlight this little title here of Sunday Christian, because the hope is that we will see where and identify where maybe some of these things have kind of taken a root in our own life. And I here's the thing. I hope you guys don't hear this with like, oh, she's talking about so-and-so, or, you know, there's a specific one that's going to check every single one of the Sunday Christian boxes, and that's not me. Because here's the thing. I think, especially as we read some of these scriptures, we're going to see that all of us fall in places where we want to resist against what it would mean to really be a Christ follower, an actual Christian every single day of the week and not just on Sunday. So I really do think this is for all of us, but I also think there are some that might just identify as the Sunday Christian and see absolutely nothing wrong with that. So I want to look at what scripture says about that too. 
So like I said, when I'm meeting with a Sunday Christian, is somebody that just goes to church on Sundays, but there really is seemingly no change in their life the rest of the week. So I want to start with reading a couple sections of Elizabeth Elliot book that I'm reading right now. I haven't finished this one, but I'm pretty sure I can recommend it because there has never been an Elizabeth Elliot book that I have not loved. This one is called Discipline, The Glad Surrender. And I had never even heard of this one. And I just stumbled across it recently. And I've really been loving it. I will say if you grab this book, it's only got like, I don't know, like 14 or so chapters in it. And they're pretty short. You could easily do these as kind of a devotional with your Bible reading every day or for whatever you're doing. But I have found that I can't really do more than one chapter at a time because I kind of want to really mull over what she's sharing on here. And if I want to read it too fast. I feel like I'm not smart enough to hang on to all of that. But this particular one, I I was reading this recently. And so I'm going to read to you some of these sections. But she talks about the difference with Christians that just go to church and then say this crazy Christian word, discipleship. So maybe we'll talk a little bit about that too here. But what she says here is, there's a pattern of thinking that has a powerful effect on Christians that we have become to imagine that discipleship is somehow an extra. We suppose that we can be Christians going to church, saying our prayers, singing those sweet songs about loving and feeling and sharing and praising without taking our share of hardship. Those who wish to make a special bid for sainthood, we tell ourselves, might try to discipline, it has its place, she says, as though it were an odd or fanatical lifestyle, not the thing for most of us. So before I read on in this, here's this word discipleship, and and I'm not necessarily going, we could do a whole podcast just on that, but there is a sense of discipleship when we're talking about being a actual biblical Christian that wants to be an imitator, a Christ follower every single day of the week, and isn't just somebody that's going to church on Sunday and checking a box. You know, there's this idea of discipleship, and with built in that, you might even hear a little bit of that word discipline, that there's something that we are going to change, that we're going to have a modification of our behavior throughout the week based on our belief, based on the fact that we're Christians, that it would change something. But lots of times people will view that, oh, that whole thing, that discipleship thing, they might view it that that's just a little extra. And I hear in that 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 perhaps is maybe the Sunday Christian that just wants to go to church, wants to feel good about the songs, wants to feel like they did their good moral deed for the week, and then move on and not let there be any change. They might say, now this is continuing with Elizabeth Elliot, she says, yes, I want to be a Christian, but no, I don't want to be your disciple, Lord. Not yet anyway. It's a bit too much, I expect. Then she continues, yes, I'll be a disciple, but no, I certainly don't want to leave self behind. I'll leave self behind, you might say, so, but don't ask me to take up any crosses. I'm not sure I'd feel real comfortable with that. Do you see where she's going with this? Okay, so she's talking about all the things that we might just want to take little bits of Christianity, if you will, little tidbits that we pick up at a sermon on a Sunday and go, oh, that was great, and then just leave it there. We don't want it to actually do any hard work with it. You know, when we get to this whole nasty business of when Jesus says to take up your cross, the fact that Jesus says that you will suffer and all of those things, we're like, eh you know, let's maybe not go so far. And so maybe they they might feel a little bit more comfortable just being in this column of Sunday Christian and almost compartmentalizing where 
they will be a Christian and where they won't. I think this particular type of Christianity has just been around for so long, and I think it's probably more pervasive maybe even in different areas of the country. I have family that lives down south. I've got family that live in, you know, the good old states of Wyoming where it's a little easier to be almost what I will call the God Bless America Christian, okay? This is a little bit like the Sunday Christian. The God Bless America Christian is sort of the Christian that we're Americans, and so God loves us and so therefore we're a Christian. It's a pretty shallow Christianity, but it's a thing, or at least I think it's something that people ascribe to. It's not something that saves you, though. We know that the only thing that saves you is belief in Jesus. But the Sunday Christian, the God Bless America Christian, can be ones that just sort of, it's almost a cultural thing. Now, I'll address this for my friends and fam that live in states where Let's just say they're not quite as hostile to Christianity. So as you guys know, we are a ministry of Athey Creek Christian Fellowship that is in Westland, Oregon. And if you are a Christian here in the Portland metro area in Oregon, it's a hostile environment to Christians. Man, and I know you guys see this all across the country. I don't really think that it's missing anywhere, but whether it's schools we're talking about, whether it's... Portland, I think, is one of the highest areas for sex trafficking. I mean, the moral depravity of our country is kind of at an all-time high. It is really startling. But when you live in a place like Portland, man, if you want to go to church, I find that those that are coming in our doors are really, really hungry for the word. They're really, really hungry for like-minded believers that want to follow Jesus. Now, of course, there's always exceptions to this and all of that, but it's a different environment here. I should put this in the place of when I have visited elsewhere. You know, when I go and visit my family in Texas or I go visit family in Wyoming, there's a different feel. And I don't really know how to explain that, not trying to be weird, but you almost sense just a spiritual battle that's very real here in Oregon, that I feel in other places, it doesn't feel like they have to be quite on their toes quite as much. It might be a little bit more accepted to be a Christian, just generally speaking, in a lot of other places in the country, but not here so much. So I think it's why church in Oregon has just taken on, man, such a sanctuary. When you come in to church on weekends and Wednesday nights, or, you know, if you come to Prophecy Update or Sunday night worship. Man, people are coming in because they want to be in the Lord's house. They want to be able to be among like-minded believers, really seeking what His Word says. And we're really hungry for it in a way, and I think it is because it is so hostile here. So when you live in other places, I think it might even be a little bit easier sometimes to have that Sunday Christian kind of thing, because you might feel, and again, it's just a feeling, which means that it really doesn't have a lot of truth backing it, but you might feel like, uh, it's not like I'm, you know, living and dying by this stuff. And the truth be told, we're living and dying by the things that the Lord has for us in his word all the time, regardless. But I think we see it a little bit more clearly when we are under a bit more opposition, if that makes sense. But a lot of times people go to church to check that moral box. They go because they feel like, well, this is what we should do. It seems like a good thing to do. So a couple years ago, actually 2005, so that was longer than I was thinking, but there was this term that came out in 2005 by these folks that wrote a book called Soul Searching, The Religious and Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers. And they coined this phrase, moralistic therapeutic deism. Okay, 
There's not a test, by the way. And some people, they called it moralistic therapeutic deism. Some people call it theism. That's kind of mincing words on the definitions between theism and deism, but you will hear both. But the idea between moralistic therapeutic deism is that God kind of wants people to be good. He wants you to be nice and he wants you to be fair because those are things that are taught in the Bible, right? Like that's kind of what God's mostly interested in. Moralistic therapeutic deism will be like thinking about that the central goal of life really is to be happy and to feel good about yourself. Mostly it's going to subscribe to the thought that most people are good. Everybody's basically good, that kind of thing, which is a lie, FYI. But that's kind of the idea behind moralistic therapeutic deism. And that kind of right there is kind of become, some people have even quoted it as saying, this is the civic religion of our day, that idea, moralistic therapeutic deism. And you can see how that would really portray in maybe what we might have called the Sunday Christian 50 years ago, but this is how it's kind of taken root now. Moralistic therapeutic deism, not necessarily would they even feel like they even need to go to church because they're mostly going to subscribe to those tenets of, you know, making sure I'm nice, making sure I show tolerance, that God wants those things and God's not going to send people to hell, you know, those kinds of things. I think sometimes that the Sunday Christian is someone that subscribes to that as well. And then they may even reach into some of the sermons that they hear on those Sundays and try to give, you know, a little check box to see the Lord says, be kind one to another. See, that fits my my worldview that I have, if you will. But it's obviously a very shallow, a very bankrupt idea when it comes to what really being a Christian is all about. I want to read a couple scriptures to you guys just to plant some seeds here, because we have to, as Christians that want to be completely following after the Lord, that we want to be glorifying the Lord with our lives, there cannot be this compartmentalization, okay? The compartmentalization of like, okay, I act this way among this group of people. I act this way when I'm at church with this group of people. I act this way when I'm at this party with this group of people or at school or at work. But if we're not careful, can sort of like make all of these different groups and have different behaviors, almost even a different core belief that we might subscribe to within each of those groups. And that we've got to get rid of that. If you are choosing to be someone who wants to follow after Jesus, there's no compartmentalization. John 1, 4 says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. That is a very short verse. You can go ahead and memorize that really easy. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. But what I want to just highlight in there is that in him was life, life, all of it. The things that I love so much about scripture are often the things that are really, really black and white. Maybe it's because it's really easy for my very simple brain, you know? But what's outside of life? Death, right? You know, there's nothing there. And it says, in him is life. So if we're going to say that we're Christians, and then the Bible says that in him is life, well, that is the totality of our lives. That's all the days of the week. That's all the years of our lives. It's all of it. I love in John when it goes through the I am statements. There's so many of them that speak to just basically even our basic needs, right? You know, in John 6, when it talks about I am the bread of life, 
the bread of life. You need bread to eat, right? Or when he says that anyone who drinks of me will never thirst again, he says in John 4. So there's these things where he even pulls these pictures of things that we need for basic necessities of our lives. He shows those as this is me. I am these things. And I think it's just another way in which his word and Jesus is so graciously showing us that he can't be compartmentalized. He can't be broken off. He is all of our lives. He's all of it. And we can't leave off part, just like we can't stop eating and still live. We can't stop drinking and still live. Jesus is saying, I am those things. And you need those things. We need Jesus in order for that to be all of our life. First John 5.12 says, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Just again, one of those really clear scriptures. It's this or it's that, but it's not in between. So then what does that make us think about when we think of this Sunday Christian thing? Well, where's the future in that, if you will? So I want to read a passage in James and talk about this for a second, because I think this is one of those verses that really depicts the Sunday Christian and maybe how they come in and then they want to leave anything that might have been life-changing. They want to leave it inside those doors. But it says in James 1, starting verse 21, says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So before I continue reading, that implanted word, I think when we think about when we go to church on the weekends and when we are hearing the word of God, it is, we should think of it almost like that planting, the planting of the word in our hearts. And James started that passage with saying, put away all the filthiness and the rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. So it even kind of goes to say that there might even be a need to be a little work in your soil. Okay, I was going to talk about the parable of the sower here, so maybe I'll do that, but I want to come back to James here. But if you recall the parable of the sower, it's in several gospel accounts. Let's see, it's in Matthew 13, you can read it there, Mark 4, and then also Luke 8. And I love the parable of the sower. I'm not going to read all of it, but Matt might be a great one to study this week. And so he says in the parable of the sower, he talks about that the seed is the word of God. And then he'll talk about the different things that where that seed might get scattered, right? He says, you know, that it might get scattered along the path and those might be ones that hear it. But then it says the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe. Or then there's ones where maybe the seed gets thrown on rocky soil and then maybe they hear the word but then it doesn't have any roots. There's no place for goat because all the rocks just kind of choke it out. He talks about seeds that gets thrown amongst thorns where, you know, there's all the worries of the world that kind of choke it out. And then it also kind of dies out. But then he talks about the seed that gets placed in good soil. And he says that they are those who hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Okay, I was summarizing that, but the last part I was reading that from Luke 8, verse 15. But we see this parable that Jesus gives about the condition of our hearts a little bit. And so when I read that first verse there in James, or that James 21, 121, where it says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness that receive with meekness the implanted word, it almost kind of gives me a picture of sometimes before you go to head to church, maybe it's time to like pull some weeds a little bit, do some work on the soil of your heart as you're going so that that implanted word is able to take deep root. 
So now we'll go back to James. So that first verse, 21 verse, then it says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and then goes away and at once forgets what he's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So that's James 1, 21 through 25 is all of that. So much here. But this is kind of at the heart of, I think, the temptation for any of us who go into church and maybe you hear something that really sticks out. And our pastor always jokes that you got to be careful because there's these great big erasers that are at the doors of all churches. And they just kind of erase anything that you might have been convicted on or anything that you might be wanting to take away into the rest of your week has a tendency to like just kind of erase all that. So that by the time you get to your car, you're like, I have no idea what the sermon was even about today. That's a thing. So go ahead and know that that's a thing. And then See what you can put in place to actually make yourself remember. I think you'll find, if you're like me, sometimes you actually need to make some notes about some of those little highlights or takeaways, and then make sure you talk about that on the way home, on the drive home from church, or later in the week. Make sure you pull your notebook out the next time you're doing your quiet time the next morning. That is an awesome way to make sure that it doesn't stay as just a Sunday Christian, but that you are actually a doer of the word. We need to revisit those things that the Holy Spirit was impressing upon us while we're sitting in those church chairs, because otherwise the devil wants those things to just get snatched away, just like in the parable of the source. He wants to snatch that stuff away so that you don't let that word get implanted deeply. So that's probably the biggest caution that we can see with going to church on Sunday, going, cool, I've checked the box, I've done my spiritual thing for the week, and then never letting it change you. And if we're really honest, this happens to all of us, but it happens to some way more. And to the place that I'll even go ahead and say, you need to ask, am I actually a Christian? Have I actually repented of my sins? And have I accepted the work of the cross? Because if you are just going to church as a motion, just a spiritual box to check, you're in that box with James of saying, man, I've heard the word, but I'm not necessarily going to be a doer. So what do I mean by this? I'll just get super practical. And yep, this probably will bite just a little bit. Sometimes when people, when you mention certain things that are a little hard hitting in the word, people are like, you know, well, you don't need to take that so literally. Well, I kind of think you do need to take the word that literally. But let's just give the example of somebody who comes to church week after week, year after year, and man, they're taking their notes furiously and everything's great. And from Sunday appearances, they seem like, yeah, this is a gal that is just really following after the Lord, right? Well, then you find out, and this we hear this all the time, that they love church so much and everything is so great and their boyfriend loves it too. And oh yeah, they actually been living together for several years and, but man, we sure love church. Okay. Gals, if that's you, that's a problem because that is a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word. That is finding a verse that or maybe it's ignoring certain passages that you just don't want to have apply to you. So in this example, maybe you're at church on Sunday and you you hear a sermon where they talk about 1 Corinthians 6. Okay, let me read to you 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 12. It says, all things 
are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Man, you might hear that. You might want to underline that and be like, oh, this is so great. See, all things are lawful for me. I can do whatever I want. But then you kind of miss that part. Not all things are helpful. It goes on. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Then he gives some examples of things that we can all understand. Verse 13, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one for the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise up in his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Verse 16, he goes on, he says, Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Okay, that's going to be a passage that you might want to put your your muffs in. (laughs) You might want to put the earplugs in and go, yeah, I don't really know so much about that. That might be some of the things that in that Elizabeth Elliot book that I was reading at the first of this that you might just go, yeah, I'm not so sure we need to go that far. But it should go that far. And not because of the moralistic theism idea. That's not why. It's not so you can say, oh, I did the good thing. No, did you hear the things that that particular passage says about when we commit sexual immorality? That's a sin that is against your own body. It is something that we should take way more serious. And then it goes on to say, man, don't you know that the Holy Spirit is within you and that we're not our own? So I'm giving this as an example. There's lots of things we could talk about, but this is one of them. This is one where a person, a gal comes to church and she wants to do all the quote unquote right Christian things, but then the rest of the week, she doesn't have any conviction to actually walk away from a sexually immoral lifestyle of having sex before she's married. And we know this is such a huge problem in our culture, right? Because it just seems like it's everywhere. And if you ascribe to a biblical prescriptive on what a right relationship should look like, where you don't have sex before you're married, they're going to look at you like you're weird. That's fine. It really is fine because you're going to have to show me how a person is more blessed by going against scripture, particularly in this area. I mean, you're not going to be able to find one statistic where this goes in your favor of living with someone before you're married. The divorce rates are higher. They say they'll do it for like financial reasons or different things like that. That doesn't bear out either. There's all kinds of issues that we bear out as cultural ramifications when we go against this. But I want to just step outside of not not even the practical, not even all of that. Let's just talk about your own soul here. It says the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Do we even think of it as that serious? And in everything in our culture seems to be so sexualized and we've cheapened sex and everything is just so seemingly people are just disposable in this. That is not what God says to us about this. Not at all. I love how he ends this passage, or it's not how he ends this chapter, but that last verse that I read in verse 20, he says, you were bought with a price. Let's just think about that for a second. We were bought with a price and the price was huge, huge. Free to us, right? Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. 
and, and it was graciously given, but it was a huge price that Christ paid for us, for the sin that we commit. And when we continue to just want to walk in that sin and go, you know what, I'm just going to go to church and it'll all be good, but I'm not going to make any changes about what I do. We are trying to cheapen what Christ did for us. And Paul here in Corinthians is reminding us that we were bought with a price. And then he says, glorify God in your body. So I want to shift gears here with just those two words, glorify God, because the whole point that we have as Christ followers is to do that. When we think about the fact that we are to be imitators of Christ, what did Jesus do? Jesus, he says, I sought the will of my father. He Over and over, we hear him say that he only does the will of his father. He existed to glorify God. We want to be imitators of Christ, right? Little Christ, we want to be Christians that imitate Jesus. Jesus glorified the Father. We then need to glorify the Father. We need to glorify the Lord with all of our lives and with all of our days and not just on Sunday. So in this example with the sexual immorality thing, this is something that we see. I bring this up because I used to see this when I would help coordinate weddings. So I would help schedule couples in with their premarital counseling with the pastors, and then I would help run rehearsals and things like that. It was such a sweet thing to be a part of, to be a part of such a special day for couples. But I will say that there was also the other side of things that was really sad, of couples that would come in and they would want to be married, but they were living together. They were doing the hearers of the word, but not doers of the word. And our pastor's very lovingly would come. And again, not because we want to like say, well, we're right, you're wrong. No, because it's a blessing for you to do it the way that the Lord has it. They would have to say, man, we have to make this right. We can't marry you given the living arrangement that you've got going on. There has to be repentance of this situation. So, So I saw this quite a bit. And so you can see that there are those that just want to compartmentalize that section of their life. They don't want to say Jesus is life. They want to say Jesus is in this box on Sunday, or Jesus is in this service project that I've decided to do, or Jesus is in my outreach with the poor or whatever, but he's not in all of my life. That's in the Sunday Christian. And Jesus wants all of our life. He wants us to glorify him with all of our life. All our body even is how practical it gets there in 1 Corinthians. So, Before I go on too long, okay, so what's the answer here? Maybe the one that feels themselves totally in the situation of Sunday Christian, like, yep, that's just me. I just go on Sundays. I think the music sounds cool, or I feel like I'm doing my religious duty for the week, and that's all I've been doing, okay? So maybe for that person. But I will say, I know every single one of myself included, there's things where you'll hear it on a Sunday, and maybe it's not something on sexual immorality. Maybe it's something on being kind, to your enemies. Those passages where it talks about praying for those who are your enemies, loving those who have hurt you, those are very hard passages sometimes to be doers of. And so all of us fall on the spectrum where it's really easy for us to just compartmentalize things and go, okay, Lord, I'll let you be Lord, and I will let you call the shots in this area of my life, but I'm going to just kind of hold this section back. And so I think that there's something in this Sunday Christian thing really for all of us. So what is the answer for anybody who falls within the spectrum? The first thing there always is, is to repent, to just come to the Lord and say, man, Lord, I am sorry that I have sinned, to confess that. Our, the scriptures tell us to even confess our sins one to another. That is one where sometimes we might not do that step. And I would say that there is an accountability. There is something that 
Scripture knows what it's talking about when it says that we are to confess our sins even one to another. Talking to another Christian, talking to a pastor at church, and getting prayer for something. So repentance has a lot of things to it, I guess. It does have that, yes, that we're sorry for it and that we want to, but then the next part is that we want to change it. This can't be the thing like, you know, when your kids were little and they fought and you're like, okay, say sorry, and they turn to their brother and go, sorry, and they run away. That is not repentance. That's actually like a Sunday Christian for moms, you know, <laughs> when they just kind of check the box, they check the mom box. I'll say sorry, but I don't really mean it. We don't, that's not what we're talking about. When we talk about repentance, we're talking about true confession to the Lord. We're talking about being sorry for that sin. And then the next part is that change, that complete turnaround and walking in the opposite direction of that sin. And I will say that could be a really, really drastic thing. Pastor Brett has talked about at church. Man, if it's your phone or something that is catching up, pornography on your phone, if there are just time suckers on there that's causing you to do something that is contrary to what God would have you to do, you need to be drastic sometimes with what you're willing to do in getting rid of the thing that is stumbling you. So repentance, yes, confession, being sorry for that sin, but then walking away, walking in the opposite direction of that sin. The next thing I would say in the answer for the Sunday Christians for us is to recognize what your life is for. You know, we talked about this a little bit when we were talking about in 1 Corinthians that it said glorify God in your bodies. We are here to glorify God. It sounds overly simple. It sounds overly Christianese, I suppose, but yet it is so the truth. Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. We are created. We exist. Our whole purpose is for the glory of God. Just think about what that means then with all of the choices that we make. I have to consider, man, is what I'm doing today, does that glorify the Lord? It encompasses so much, the small and the big. Glorify God. Just keep that in your mind. Keep that as the focus. So we got to repent. We got to recognize what our life is for. And the last thing I think is just to respond in obedience. 1 John 2, 3, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. That is one of probably dozens of verses that I read and I could pick to put in here as an example that over and over we are told in God's word to obey his commandments. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament. It goes all the way through to the New Testament. We are to obey his commandments. And it'll connect things just like it says here in 1 John that, and by this we know that we have come to know him. We know Jesus if we keep his commandments. It's going to be really tricky to say, yeah, I know Jesus and I hear all this stuff on Sundays, but I don't do anything that he said the rest of the week. That is not consistent with knowing who Jesus is. So we have to be able to respond in obedience. And like I said in the last one, when you're recognizing what your life is for, it's kind of in the big or the small. First Corinthians 10.31 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. I love that all in the Greek means all, like all of it. I wonder sometimes if we think about that even our really, really tiny decisions matter. You know, and maybe this, you know, I know as gals, we have a tendency to overthink kind of everything. I overthink so many things. But I actually think that the Lord cares about all of those things. I remember super early on when I was first married and I went to this mom time Bible study that Debbie, Pastor Brett's wife, did. And she talked about, and I I think I've mentioned this before, but she talked about how she would pray about 
what they were going to have on their dinner menu for the family that week. And I remember at the time thinking like, wow, that seems like a really tiny thing to be concerned about. Why would you pray about that? But I have never forgotten it. And I think it is such a cool example of the fact that we have a Lord that loves us so much that He, there's nothing too big, too small. There isn't anything that he says, oh, that prayer is too insignificant for me. And that also in turn is that there's nothing too small or too big that he wouldn't want us to give glory to him by how we do it. And that first Corinthians verse is just reminding us of that doesn't matter what you eat, what you drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Because see, that's the thing. Whatever we're doing today, wherever you're driving right now, whatever laundry you're folding, whatever dinner you're cooking, whatever papers you are shuffling right now, we do all that we do as unto the Lord, not for a boss, not even for our spouse, not for our kids, not for our teachers. We do everything for the Lord. When I hear that, it actually, gals, it just makes me smile. And I hope it makes you smile because the Lord, could you ask for a better, if you think of what a boss would be like, the best possible, how they would respond to the things that we do or whatever, the Lord is perfect. He is so perfect. He's so kind. He's so loving. He's so good. And that is who we work for. That's who we glorify. And that's all the things that we are serving for. But I've probably said the word all. Somebody could probably count them in this podcast. It's been a lot. In all, in all, in all. We just can't compartmentalize our life. We can't serve Christ just on one day of the week and then kind of just go our own way the rest of it. But we need to serve him with all of it. I want to close with just a couple other verses because this passage, I actually, I'm fairly certain I pray this almost every single day. Because when we think about how we make this super practical, how do we do that? You know, I said, yes, Amy, are you saying, should I pray about if I'm having chicken tonight or whatever? Whatever the Lord puts on your heart to be seeking him in all things. That's my example there. But Proverbs 16, 9 says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Every day, I ask the Lord that he would establish my steps. I often also ask that he will adjust my way however he wants, making sure that I am asking him, seeking him, Lord, what do you have today? I'm a checklist gal. Oh, man, I love to check my boxes. I love to have a plan. And I have to be careful with that because I can hold so tightly to what I want to do today that I could miss the steps that the Lord has for me. And so every day, not Sunday, just Sunday, not just Wednesday nights at church, not just whenever you're making a point, or I will say maybe not even just during your quiet time, all the day, asking the Lord to direct every single step. And the thing that I love about this, gals, is that this is Yes, what we're supposed to do, because it is what scripture says. It is the God who created you, designed you, how he ordered his universe to work, that we would be created for his glory to serve him. And as you read his word and you understand who he is, what he wants for you, it is going to make you, you're going to have corrections, course corrections. You're going to go, oh, I probably shouldn't be doing that, or I should be doing this. But to me, that honestly just gives me such joy because we, I guess, take the control of your own life, of you, 
deciding what it needs to look like, and you just let the Lord have all of it. I think we would be amazed by the goodness of the Lord and how he meets you in those things. If you're hearing this podcast and you're like, okay, you brought up some stuff that I actually might have to be a doer of and not just to hear, or maybe it's nothing I said at all today, but maybe you did hear a sermon this weekend and you know that the Holy Spirit is asking you to do something with what his words are. Do it, man. Just do it. You will be so blessed and the Lord is so loving to come around you and help you as you want to seek to follow Christ, not just on Sundays, but with all of your life with no compartmentalization. Thank you for tuning in to the Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of Athey Creek Christian Fellowship in West Lynn, Oregon. For more resources or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at atheycreek.com.